Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. Hey, someone I want to recognize this morning, my mom, she turns 80 today. She's, she's right back there, right next to my dad there. Hey, mom, mom, I'm still your favorite, aren't I? Okay. You heard this. I'm her favorite, didn't you? Okay. Hey, Vintage Jesus is our current, uh, actually, we're kicking it off brand new this weekend, our teaching series, The Jesus Most People Miss. Is He Fully God is the uh, title of this weekend's message. I'm excited you're here today. What a wonderful day this is. Big question, who is Jesus Christ? Since the first century, that question has never failed to create a stir the answers have ranged from demon to deity. I've always been somewhat intrigued. I don't think it's a coincidence that the name of uh, Jesus Christ is used regularly as a curse word among the Hollywood crowd and many movies. But uh, when I was launched out into adulthood, out of my uh, Christian home, I was uh, kind of blown away when I would hear construction workers or even later on when I got on the fire department, they would use the name of Jesus as a curse word. And I was always kind of waiting to hear someone say when they, when they were upset, instead of using Jesus, uh, maybe when they were upset or angry to say something like, oh, Hare Krishna, or, uh, or Buddha, or uh, Dalai Lama. That would it'd probably sound weird, but I mean, but why would we use, or why would people use um, the name of Jesus as a curse word? You guys, are, you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Do you guys cringe like I do? I, I, it's almost like a cringe for me. It's almost kind of like, wow, you have no idea what you're saying. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that we have an adversary that's doing everything he can to defame or demean the name of, of Jesus. Um, why wouldn't people say Muhammad? Well, that, you better be careful with that one, obviously. But it's interesting, and I, I actually worked with a Mormon who, uh, when he would get upset or angry, he would actually say, oh, Judas Priest. Rock band? <laughs> That's pretty interesting. How many are familiar with that, being a rock band? Okay, you guys are really, really old. But, uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? And so, you know, no one is more loved and hated than Jesus Christ. I mean, look at the landscape of the world. No one is more loved or hated. And I think that shows some of the hatred that's out there. And a lot of people don't even know what they're saying. Yet those who dare to look beyond the prejudices and encounter the historical person and work of the real Jesus Christ are never the same. Never ever the same. Once you encounter the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are no longer suited for a normal life. You will never, ever be the same. That's what this whole series is about. It'll take us to the end of the year, Vintage Jesus. We want to have an encounter with Jesus. We want to know him. We want to walk with him. We want to enjoy him. We want to experience more of him. Take a look at your notes there. The name Jesus is derived from the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh, God is salvation. And the title Christ, sometimes people think that's his first and last name. No, it isn't. Actually, the name, his first, his name is Jesus. And Christ is his title. 
which means one chosen, anointed by God to be the Messiah who delivers God's people. In, in, his, in his name and uh, his title represents really who he is, his purpose. It's, it's phenomenal. He came to rescue us from peril. He's our rescuer. And so we see that in his name, Jesus, and in his title, Christ. And uh, so we're going to explore that. This morning we're looking at, is he fully God? Quite a bit of discrepancies, a lot of disparity between what a lot of other major religions say and what Christianity says, as we will see. You can see the notes are divided up. Who do people say Jesus is? What did Jesus say about himself? And then we'll end by talking about uh, who, did Jesus, uh, who do you say Jesus is? And then we'll have a water baptism. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our text, wonderful text, and then unpack these notes. Father God, as we embark upon a new series this weekend, open blind eyes and deaf ears to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Stir up our dull hearts with greater affection for the man Christ Jesus. Through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, may we find unspeakable and glorious joy in the beauty and glory of who Jesus is and what he has done for us that ruins us for anything else. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, we'll work our way to verse 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And not unlike today, you're going to see quite a different statements made here. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? How many would say that you could probably relate to Peter, one of the disciples, because he tends to kind of put his foot in his mouth from time to time, and yet other times he says some pretty profound things. We're about to see him saying something very, very profound. Show of hands, how many would say, I can relate to him. Yeah, and that's what I love about him being in the story, the one who denied Christ three times. But here in this, he's making an affirmation that is very profound, very significant that we understand. And... And Peter steps up and doesn't put his foot in his mouth, as, we will, as you see as you read through the Gospels multiple times. But he says, and Jesus replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very profound, significant statement. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, total fulfillment, complete well-being. If you believe that, if you live that out, Peter, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is, did not come to you by speculation. It came to you by revelation. But my Father who is in heaven, my Father revealed this to you. So you make that kind of pronouncement. In fact, that's what those that are uh, getting baptized here this morning, they're making that public declaration of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, that didn't come by speculation. It's revelation. It's, it's the Father that revealed that to you through the work of his Holy Spirit. And then he unpacks, this is, this is brilliant, this is awesome, this is great stuff, because he unpacks really the implications of what that means. So if I, if I proclaim Christ as the son of the living God, and knowing that that was revealed to me by the Father, by revelation, then he says in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, not Peter, Peter's not the rock, but upon this proclamation, this declaration, 
this confession of faith in Jesus. I will build my church, so I'm going to gather a group of people that are making this declaration, proclamation, and check this out, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's a great promise. If I call on the name of Christ, he's my savior. He rescues me from peril. I mean, do you know what that means? All hell can break loose in my life, and it doesn't matter. It will not prevail. And in fact, he's going to give us something else. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What if I came to you and said, hey, I, I got some car keys right here. You know that, that car that you've always longed that you could have? I've got it. It's in the parking lot here. It's yours. Here's the keys. What do you think? Would you, would you like that? Anybody? Some of you are like, no, we don't trust you. <laughs> I mean, or how about, I got the keys right here. It's a cabin in the mountains. Woohoo! you can have it, it's yours. Yeah, I'll take the car and the cabin. You got keys to a new house too? I'll take that too. This, all of that is nothing compared to these keys. That's what he's saying, you proclaim the name of Christ, you get to know him. These are amazing keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys give us access. So we have, we have privilege. We have uh, unbelievable potential through the Lord Jesus Christ, through our declaration of his name and who he is and what he represents. And so I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we're talking power here. We're talking the very presence of God, the power of God, the peace of God all the resources of heaven available to us, and then he strictly cha charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That sounds a little odd. Don't tell anybody. It's because it was based on timing, and he didn't want to be taken to the cross before his time, and so he to tell, told them, hey, just keep this to yourself until we continue out, and I continue out in my ministry. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, let's uh, begin with who do people say Jesus is. I want to give to you another uh, verse of Scripture. It should be up on the big screen. There it is. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, this is the Apostle Paul, and we know based on um, uh, 4, 4 of 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. But what does he do to unbelievers? Well, this is, our believers, this is what he does to believers. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So if he blinds the minds of unbelievers, what does he do to believers right there? He tries to lead us astray from our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive it, now so he's going to go on and talk a little bit of what, he's talking, what he means by this, if you receive a different spirit. So if they're talking about a different Jesus than the one that we proclaim, that's a different spirit from the one you received. It's not the Holy Spirit. Or if you accept a different gospel. He's even saying this is a different gospel from the one that you accepted. And then he says this statement. It sounds a little peculiar. I'll explain it in a moment. You put up with it uh, readily enough. In other words, he's saying, man, don't be gullible. That's what he's saying. Don't be gullible. Don't accept another Jesus because that's from another spirit. That's, from, that's another gospel. Or New Living Translation puts it this way. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Don't do that. You're being led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to the one true living Christ Jesus. Don't do that. Don't be led astray. Now, as we explore the, the landscape of, uh, of this world and we look at what different religions say about Jesus, I've got a list there. Let me walk through this list. Who do people say that Jesus is? That was the question Jesus asked the disciples. 
And so as we look out, for instance, Islam, it's growing at quite a rapid pace. He is merely a man, a prophet inferior to Muhammad. Buddhism, he was not God, but an enlightened man like Buddha. Hinduism, he is a teacher, guru, or an avatar. His death didn't atone for sin. Scientology, he is rarely mentioned. He is not the creator and did not, uh, did not die for sin. I'm a little skeptic of Scientology. Any religion uh, invented by a science fiction writer and spokesperson as Tom Cruise makes me a little suspicious. <laughs> okay, sorry, but it's just like, what? Science fiction writer comes up with this religion. And it's a bizarre religion, really, the more you get into it. And then there's Mormonism. Now, uh, this is what Mormonism teaches. He was not God, but only a man who became one of many gods. He was a polygamist and half-brother of Lucifer. His body was created by sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Now, everybody look up here just for a minute. Last night, this place was full, and there was a family sitting right here in this row, and they were all Mormons. And a Mormon missionary came up to me and said, that's not what we teach. And I go, well, you, you need to examine the early writings of Joseph Smith. And a lot of Mormons aren't familiar with a lot of what uh, Mormonism is really about. And so if you're a Mormon here, and I would encourage you to, to explore those writings. There's a major disparity between what Joseph Smith taught through Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and the Book of Mormon as compared to what the Bible teaches in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his argument to me was that we, we teach the same Jesus. And I said, no, you don't. You don't teach the same. You're a very nice, very bright young man. I appreciated him coming up and talking to me afterwards. And, uh, but I would challenge you on that. Mormon theology is different from what the Bible teaches. And uh, that's, my, that's my challenge to you. Um, I appreciated him coming up and talking to me. It was great to have them with us. And, uh, and so, and then we got the Jehovah Witnesses. Basically, they say he is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was uh, Michael the archangel, a created being that became a man. By the way, they have their own Bible. It's been tampered with. There's no Hebrew or Greek theologian out there that would recommend the New World Translation. That's what they embrace. They, they really doctor it up quite a bit. They change things in there that you can't change. And it's because they want to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And yet, if you read the scriptures, you're going to see that loud and clear. John chapter 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Revelations chapter 1, all proclaim the deity, that Jesus is God. And that's important to, to, to always remember that. Now, of course, we've got a whole slew of liberal Christians that claim that he's not God, but a great moral teacher and a leader. Movie Da Vinci Code popularized this view a few years ago. It's based on the Gnostic Gospels, which have been proved to be fraudulent. I would also challenge you on that. And there's plenty of liberal churches right here in the valley, people that, uh, that actually believe that. If you explore their beliefs, and that's why it's really important that you roll up your sleeves, do not commit intellectual suicide, dive in. Try to understand the words that they use and the meanings that they pour into those words. There's a lot of semantics and uh, semantic twisting and changing. Look what Tim Keller has to say. Anyone who would make a claim that all religions are equally right is not listening very well to what each teaches. Major disparity, major controversy, major contradiction in, uh, and this is just a short list. This is just a short list. I would encourage you to, to explore that more. Now, it's important we go back to see what Jesus says. This is a short list of what Jesus says. We could spend the next years talking about what Jesus said about himself. Very profound, 
very important, but this is just a short list of what he said. Let's explore this. What did Jesus say about himself? Number one, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. That's your three fill in the blanks. So John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oftentimes people will say, well, Christianity, you Christians are so, so exclusive, so narrow-minded. Wait, 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 wait. It's, it's not something that we came up with. If you want to call us narrow-minded as Jesus being the only way, because there are many people will say the argument, well, don't all roads lead to God? It, just as long as you're sincere, and, uh, and it was Jesus that said this. We say this only because Jesus said this. He's the one that said, I am not a way, but the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father, but by who? By me, by him. Now, what's interesting, and this is what separates Christianity from all the major religions of our world today, they would give you a plan of action. And what we have in Christ, what we have through Christianity is a person. The way is a, is a person. It's not a plan of action. You do these things and somehow then you can have a right relationship with God. It's, it's a person. It's through him, through what he's done. It's not good advice. Everything else would be good advice of what you must do to make yourself right with God. The, the gospel is good news about what he has done through Jesus Christ to make us right with God. It is a done deal. It is finished and that's uh, and that's really important in fact really what he's answering here way truth in life is answering some of life's most basic basic questions why am I here what is the purpose of life how can I know God I am the way I am the I'm the way uh, to to really to God and to understand if you want a relationship with God I am the truth I'm the truth about God you want to get to know God get to know me read about me through the four Gospels you want the very life of God you want your life infused with the life of God I'm the way the truth and the life believe me those who give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ there's not a more soul-satisfying life liberating life-liberating kind of life that you can experience. That's what he provides for us. Oh, and by the way, let me make this very clear. It's not that we obey him to have his blessing in this life. We have this blessing in life, therefore we obey him. The obedience comes as a result of the acceptance we have through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a person, not a plan of action. And that's what ultimately transforms our lives. If your life isn't being transformed, you've got to go back to your acceptance in him and what he's provided for you and get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the next one. He claimed to be sinless and able to forgive sins. This is another claim of Christ. John 8, 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you, uh, why do you not believe me? It even tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, here's what's interesting. And I, I, tried, I tried to... I tried to convince my wife that I was sinless when we were first married. Because I tried to blame her for all of our marriage problems. So it's a common thing that we all fall prey to. And I worked really hard at this. No, this marriage would be a much better marriage if it wasn't for you. She wasn't buying that. You mean to tell me that you don't play any role in this whatsoever? No, no, no. I, I don't at all. In fact, Jesus and I are pretty much pretty close to the... No, you know, and the more I read the scripture, obviously, I couldn't play that game for long because she pointed out, she said, well, I, you know, what about this and what about that? And she has, she's got a long laundry list of things on me. 
And the more she got to know me, the longer the list got, okay? And so if I claim to be without sin or you claim to be without sin, it's not, it's not going to go. But he claimed to be without sin. He was sinless, but also he claimed to forgive sins. That's pretty fascinating. Mark 2, 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Why is that? I think, um, actually, if you read about David, David, uh, King David in the Old Testament, in his uh, Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, he gives us a little bit of a clue to this whole thing. Only God can forgive sins. In fact, all sins are ultimately against God. The more you understand that, the more you're going to be able to understand and overcome the sins in your life. He says in chapter 51, verse 4 of Psalms, he says, against you, you alone have I sinned. Wait a minute. He committed adultery and murder and all these other things, but he realized and, and you kind of get a little bit more of a clue of that later on in that psalm because he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And it's not that he, he sinned and lost the joy of his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation, therefore he sinned. Sin is what we do when, we don't find, when we're not finding our satisfaction in God. And so we sin, we sin in direct proportion to the fact that I'm not finding my greatest delight in him and I think that I can find it out there somewhere. And, and so all sin is ultimately a trampling on the love and wisdom of God. God says, hey, in, in my love and wisdom, I've established how I want you to live. This is the best way to live. Follow me in this. And oh, by the way, I will empower you to do that with my Holy Spirit. But when we choose otherwise, we're trampling on his love and wisdom. We're sinning against him because we think we know better. We think that he's holding out on us in some way. That could be further from the truth. And so he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be sinless and to forgive our sins, and he indeed does that through the cross. That's so wonderful. Verse or number three, he claimed to come from heaven. This is also what separates Christianity from major cults and religions of our world today. In fact, you can read books uh, that talk about people dying and going to heaven, but uh, not too many people have come from heaven, and that's what he says here in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, uh, but the will of him who sent me. How do we know there is a God? Someone were to ask you, okay, tell me, how do you know there is a God? We know through creation, conscience, commandments, but ultimately through Christ. He showed up here. God in the flesh through through Jesus Christ. And, and this is what separates, once again, Christianity from the major cults and religions of our world today. Every other religion could be put in this category. If anybody ever asks you, what's the difference between Christianity and major cults and religions of our world today? This is, this is the difference, is that every religious belief system is based on a works righteousness. It's, I, if I do these things, it's a finite man trying to relate to an infinite God through a code of works or ethics or some kind of behavior to where Christianity is an infinite God relating to a finite man through his son, Jesus Christ. We certainly could not reach high enough, but he could reach low enough, and he did, and he rescues us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, uh, that's, that's important to keep in mind. And we, even when you study the scripture, the big question is, is, is the scripture primarily me seeking God or is it God seeking me? Well, it's God seeking me. It's God pursuing me. It's not what I must do to be right. It's what he has done to make me right with him. I mean, take, for instance, Buddhism says eightfold path. There, there's their works righteousness. Islam, five pillars. Judaism, ten commandments. Hinduism, reincarnate until you get it right. 
Mormonism exalted to godhood by works. They're heavy, heavy duty on the works. They have, they've got a list of works that you need to perform. Jehovah Witnesses uh, baptized as a Jehovah Witness earn everlasting life by door-to-door work. And so you could put all those in this one category, and so the good are in, the bad are out. If you, if you meet the standards, you're in. If you don't, you're out. Christianity is it's not the good are in, the bad are out. And that's why it's really important that as Christians, when we explain Christianity, that they don't confuse it with moralism. Because moralism is the good are in, the bad are out. But Christianity says, no, the humble are in, the proud are out. All you need is need. When you recognize, wow, I I have fallen short. By the way, that would be through the revelation of God working in your life through the Holy Spirit. That all, I recognize, oh, yes, I want that gift that comes to me through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so it's the humble or in the proud or out. Now let me ask you this, which, which belief system is the most inclusive belief system in the world? It's Christianity. It's all you need to do is humble yourself before mighty God and you can know and experience all that he has for you. It's, it's profound, it's significant, it's amazing. It just blows, blows my mind the more I understand this. And so it's, it's, uh, it's not a works righteousness, it's a grace righteousness. And oh my goodness, the more you understand that, the more it begins to transform your life. And then, number four, he claimed to be the son of man. He claimed to be the son of man. This is uh, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he's prophesying. This is prophecy. This is some 600 years before Christ prophecy of God becoming a man. This is what's so powerful about the scriptures that we hold dearly is that uh, they're prophetically powerful, these predictions that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before they actually came to pass. And when you look at them, I mean, they're just, they're mind-blowing to see the accuracy. God is batting a thousand with his predictions. And so this is one of those predictions. And of course, Jesus refers to himself as that son of man. I am what Daniel is talking about. And in fact, uh, Jesus uses this term, son of man. It's his favorite term that he makes reference to himself with. He uses that some almost close to 90 times in the Gospels. And I gave you one of those times right there in Matthew 8, 20. It was also in the text that we read this morning in Matthew 16. Number five, he claimed people could pray to him as God. John 14, 13 through 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then, of course, John 15, 7 also uh, makes that very clear. No other religious leader made this claim that you could pray to them. Not even Mary, the mother of Jesus, made this claim. That's important. Number six, he claimed to be God and confirmed to others he was God. Mark 14, 61 through 64, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man. There's that reference again. Seated at the right hand of power, coming with clouds of heaven. I gave you another reference where he's, he's saying, yes, that's why he was crucified. That was blasphemous to the high priest, to the people, the, the Jews of that day. That's blasphemy. You claim to be God? Yep, I'm God. Little did they know that they were looking at God in the flesh, the incarnation. Amazing. 
And then number seven, he claimed to be the ruler and judge of the world. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. John 5, through 24, the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. You guys ever struggle over uh, when you see the injustices that are prevalent? I think we have one of the best uh, court systems in the world, but oh my goodness, sometimes you watch some of these court cases and you go, wow, that guy, that guy got away with murder. How many would say that's sometimes you, you struggle with that? You kind of look around at all the injustice in the world. And so there's that, uh, that struggle. By the way, that's also revelation of God. Why would you even struggle with that if there is no God? If we, if we came from insignificance and we're going to insignificance, then everything in between is pretty insignificant. You understand what I'm saying? If this is through some sort of evolutionary process, it doesn't make any sense. And so intrinsically, you can't say something is crooked unless there's, a, unless there's a straight edge that you're appealing to somewhere. Where's your straight edge? Why would you say that that's wrong? You're appealing to something that's intrinsic within your heart that's been placed there by God Almighty. And yet we know, based on the scripture, people will not get away with murder. In fact, you will pity them because one of these days we will all give an account of our lives before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that is the judge. He will balance the book, settle the score, make things right. And the more you understand that, you realize, wow, I pity them. I pray that they repent. I pray that they come back to Jesus. Because with his first coming, this is what's so phenomenal about Jesus. With his first coming, he came to bear judgment. Listen to me. He was slaughtered on the cross for you. That's how much the God of the galaxies loved you. It tells us in, in Isaiah 52 and 53 that he was, he was brutalized so badly you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. This is the God of the galaxies that came to pay the payment for our sin in full. All of our sin. So, so he paid in full. It is finished. That's what he uttered on the cross. So our sins are forgiven. Ticket to heaven. We're ready. We're headed to heaven. And he provided, provides us with everything in between. We have everything we need through Jesus Christ. So pretty amazing. He's going to... Oh, the, so the first coming, he came to bear judgment. Second coming, he's going to bring judgment. So if you reject his first coming, bearing your judgment, you will face you will face his judgment. No, no two ways about it. The Bible's clear about that. I choose to let him bear my judgment. What do you think, huh? You guys right there with me? Yeah, praise God. I, I, he, he paid for all of my sins. I, I have his Holy Spirit within me, uh, you know, so I can face the issues of life. Even though all hell breaks loose in my life, I have everything I need through Jesus Christ to face it all. Because eventually, I'm going to be with him for all eternity. And so, pretty amazing, amazing stuff. By the way, also, it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, this whole idea. He's, he's the hero of our lives. You know, when you look at maybe your favorite movies or books or stories, uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm so intrigued. I'm old enough now to see there's been quite a number of... Uh, you know, what, they keep making one more Spider-Man, one more Spider-Man, one more, or one more Superman, or one more, you know, Batman. How many more Batman, Superman, Spider-Mans can they make? Why are we so intrigued? But if you look at the plot line of a lot of these uh, superhero kind of movies, it's there, because we know 
deep in our heart, there's something in us that there's something beyond the natural, and it's people escaping death, overcoming evil with good, and a, a love that we, we never lose, and that all resonates with us. That's the deepest longing of our heart, that we know that there is something beyond the, the natural. We want to escape death. We all want that, and we all want to see evil overcome by good, and we want a love that, never, that, that, that we never lose. And you know, what's interesting about all these, these superhero movies or your favorite book or story, whatever it might be, Jesus is the underlying reality to which all of these stories are pointing to. As uh, Pastor Scott, our executive pastor, we were talking about this at the beginning of this service, that Pat, uh, Scott said, he is the happily ever after that we long for. He's the love of our life. He's the one that gives us a love that we can never lose. He gives us this escaping of death and overcoming evil with good in our own lives, but one of these days he'll come back and set up his kingdom. And oh my goodness, what a wonderful day that will be. Okay, and then that takes us to the very last one here of this list. Like I said, we could go on with this list, but he claimed to be able to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is in the present, in, uh, present active indicative uh, in the language and what it means is that it's not just a once done thing. Those that are making a public declaration of their faith in Christ through water baptism is that they recognize it's not like something you punch off, you know, check on the, the list. No, you're entering into a relationship where you're going to walk with Jesus, know Jesus, experience Jesus. You're going to come to him each and every day and find the longing of your soul satisfied. That's what he's saying. He is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him, keeps coming to him, shall never hunger. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst. Jesus in chapter 4, when he talked to the woman at the well, she had been married five times, finally gave that up. She was living with the sixth guy. And he says to her, drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. And in essence, he was speaking metaphorically, and he was saying, hey, you know what? There's nothing on this planet Earth that can satisfy you. Drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again, but drink of the water that I give you, and oh, it will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Here's the last question. Who do you say Jesus is? Your eternity hangs in the balance with your response to that question. So we come back to you, you and I. Who do you say Jesus is? A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's the trilogy that C.S. Lewis made popular, who was an atheist who became a Christian. But either, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. No evidence of him being a liar or a lunatic, but indeed the Lord. The Lord, number two... You can reason to a point of probability beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus is who he said he is, but it takes commitment to lead to certainty. My wife had to go in for surgery a number of years ago. She had some gallbladder problems. They needed to remove the gallbladder. And uh, so she was going to get ready to go into surgery. We had some nurses in, the, in our fellowship here, and they asked, well, who's the doctor that's going to perform the surgery? And we told these nurses, and they said, oh, that's not a good doctor. He has a real high infection rate. And immediately, you know, I, both my wife and I said, eee, that's terrible. And so uh, with, that, with that, we began to do some more research to find a doctor that might have greater levels of credibility. And so we did find one, and uh, when we felt like we had enough evidence giving validity 
to that particular doctor. She went in, went under the knife and removed her gallbladder and was able to work through that and survived it successfully and it was all good. Now here's my point, is that you can reason to a point of probability but it takes commitment to lead to certainty. At some point you've got to go under the knife to really find out whether or not you can trust you can trust this person or trust this, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because certainly, it is historical, evidential, and factual. It will tilt the scale in favor of the fact that there was this man, Christ Jesus, who walked this earth. He is indeed God, and these scriptures validate that. And you can, there's plenty of evidence, but at some point, you've got you've to make the commitment. You've got to make the commitment. You've got to give your life to him. And in fact... If Jesus is who he says he is, then nothing can satisfy you like he can, and it would be folly of the highest kind not to be fully devoted to him. Full devotion to him and fullness of life are one and the same pursuit. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that confession of faith right now before we baptize those here this morning. Just uh, with heads bowed, eyes closed, let me just kind of just talk to you just a little bit and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk you through the process of what it means to make a confession of faith. Everyone lives for something. Everybody here, even if you're not a believer, you live for something. Whatever you live for, whether you want to call it this or not, it is the Lord of your life. And if you live for money, romance, sports, career, or family, the list goes on, and don't achieve what you had hoped for, any or all of those lords will be terribly unforgiving. And even, even if you get them are terribly unfulfilling. Even the most successful careers, families, or, or anything for that matter cannot give you the acceptance, security, and significance that the beautiful, glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God of the galaxies, can give you. Jesus is the only Lord that when you fail him will forgive you eternally and when you get him will fulfill you completely. So this is what you do to confess him as Savior and Lord, even as Peter we saw in this story in Matthew 16. You first of all, A, you acknowledge your sin that separates you from God. The Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You just acknowledge that. You're separated from him. And then B, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins. It tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you receive that gift. So you acknowledge your sin, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin, and then you confess that C, you confess him as your Lord and Savior Romans 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do that right now. Maybe if you've never done that before, what a wonderful day this would be if you would make that confession of faith in him. And maybe if you are a believer, to renew that confession of faith just by walking through those ABCs. God, we do that this morning. We acknowledge our sin that separates us from you. We, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to, to you except through him, through his sacrificial love for us. It's his sacrificial love for us that awakens our sacrificial love for you and for him. And so we confess him as our Savior and Lord. We give him our lives. We want to live our lives for him and for his glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said...